Hello. Oh, wait, did we start? Yep, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Wow. Well. Welcome back to this. Is not. A history lecture. lecture. If we sound different, it's because we're coming to you from two separate mics. Separate mics. Kaylee got it to work. I finally got it to work. Makers of Blue Yeti, I am mad at you. Please know that we now have beef. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, anyway, we figured it out, got it to work, and we hope we sound really cool. We sound really cool to each other. Don't worry, I can't hear that. Okay. But now we can hear everything. <laughs> like, uh, like too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm afraid y'all can hear me swallow. Yeah, you, they definitely can. They oh, definitely can hear oh, me as well. Oh, no. So, okay, that means that, like, I need to start eating before so that my stomach's... <laughs> <laughs> you can ask Kaylee. I have the loudest stomach in history. Hey, me history. too. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel so professional, though. I feel so professional. You know those tiles that you had when you were a kid that were foam and you built things out of, and it's probably, like, a six-by-six six square tile that fits and locks into the other ones? Yeah, we found my childhood ones, and we have miniature sound booths. We have little sound booths for our mics. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. It's... We're moving up in the world, Kaylee. We are. We are. Next is a jingle. I feel like we... Yeah. 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 I don't know if we can keep just, this is not a history a lecture. I mean, it's cute. It's cute, but it's not a jingle. You're right. Um, I can literally hear everything. I'm <laughs> really sorry. I'm probably really sounding gross. Maybe no, 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 no. It was just the, no, it was just being able to hear every pronounced part of your words is is really weird. And Christ. I'm realizing that I'm going to have to start really enunciating my yeah, words like this. And so I'm going to look really weird to you because I'm like oh, way stressing fine. out my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm really glad we figured that out. Yeah. Uh, what's happened since last time we recorded? A lot. A lot and nothing. Like, do you, get, you know that feeling? Yes. The whole COVID thing makes everything feel like that. Yeah. Well... Since we've last recorded, I've been to two major Texas cities. Um, mm. I went to Austin, and then I went to Houston. I just came back from Houston. It's been a long day. It was your granddad, your great granddad's great grandfather? He turned ninety, so congrats Woo-hoo. to him. That's very impressive. It's also my great grandparents' like seventy seventieth anniversary, wow. over seventy. I don't know the exact number, but around seventy. Nice. So they've been married for forever. Um, yeah. Also, a boat got stuck and unstuck. <laughs> Wait, um, did they finally get it unstuck? I think it's back floating. So it's no longer, like, in the ground. Wow. It's floating again. I'm not sure if it's unstuck, unstuck. It's one of those things, like, you really you really forget how, how the, the tiny detailed cogs of how just not even capitalism, but the whole entire worldwide trade center system works. Yep. Like... One thing, boat that went sideways. Well, my thing is, is that, like, they make these boats specifically to fit through, like, the Suez and Panama Canal. Yeah. And, like, they wouldn't think to make sure, huh, let's make it small enough, short enough. Because it's not like it's already... Yeah. Like, let's make it a hundred feet shorter so this won't happen. Because it's already the no, size of to, the Empire State Building. They have to fit all of the cargo <laughs> on it. There's actually a really fascinating documentary on it, um... 
it's oh i'm gonna hate myself it's like a freight it's a play on the whole like afraid and freight because it's actually about how like the freight industry is legitimately destroying the earth oh that doesn't surprise me a hundred percent yeah i'm gonna look it up while we talk but yeah yeah well, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Um, it's been a very long day. Classic case of overcommitting to too many things and then getting stuck in traffic. Mood. <laughs> because life works that way. Um, what's really funny is, so my cat, he hates being in his crate. So, and a lot of people do this, but I let him like roam around the car for maybe like an hour <clears throat> in the drive. Oh, no. And... Um, <laughs> Well, it used to be not a big deal because he was small enough to where he would, like, kind of fit between my shoulder and the seat. And he could just, like, sit there and hang out and watch the cars go by. And then I would, like, put him away for the rest of the drive. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he's too big to do that now. Oh, no. So we spent a good hour fighting on where he was going to sit. Of and course. he insists on sitting on my shoulders and refuses to sit in another part of the car. I don't know why. Sounds about right. But he also refuses to be in his crate. So I'm like, dude... Dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, too, is if I let him out for the hour, it usually, like, stimulates him enough to where he's, like, passed out for the other oh, yeah. the other part of the drive. So, it's, like, worth it to do it because it gets him to chill out. But at the same time, I'm like, God, do we have to do this every time? Yeah. It's a it's a hassle. Well, I did. Yeah. That's something I did this weekend. I was pet sitting for oh, yeah, our friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super sweet cats. But I have realized I don't know cats. Yeah. Like... You don't know how to interact with them? It's like... That's what I, a lot of dog people... Well, one of the cats is, like, really sweet. She just takes a while to warm up to people. And the other one is, like, super vocal, more cuddly and everything. Um, so it was just interesting to get time around cats. Because I went and hung out at her apartment for a couple hours just to give them some company and everything. Yeah. And it was really nice to get to be around cats because I can't have them because of allergies. But, mm-hmm. like, it, it was interesting seeing the differences between dogs and cats. I was like... The cat just wants to sit across the room from me and look at me. Doesn't yep. even want to interact necessarily. And you know what? That to them is quality time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, let me love you. Yeah. Sit on my lap. <laughs> Appa does this funny thing where he doesn't want to like cuddle with me, mm-hmm. but he wants to cuddle with my leg. And I'm like, what? I want to touch you, but not actually like have to <laughs> have to touch down with there? you. <laughs> also, um, I found the name. It's called Freightened. Frightened. The real price of shipping. Uh, it's actually, I watched it with my dad. It was really interesting. What's that on? Netflix? It's on, I think it's on Prime. Ah. Um, yeah, it's on Prime. Yeah, well, do you have any updates from this past week? Other than, other than pet sitting, not really. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot happened that I should remember has happened. Um, I spent the whole day neck deep in um, IPM traps, so... IPM? I should explain that. Um, so in museums, there's something called IPM, and it's in, 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 integrated, integrated pest management. Integrated pest management. And um, I almost said intermittent. <laughs> Not in. Integrated pest management. And in our museum, the way we do it in our collections department is that we set out traps. And you have to go through all of those traps under a microscope. Yeah, because you need the records mm-hmm. of what kind of bugs are there. <laughs> and it's not pleasant. It's really not. Um, but I'm getting really good at identifying bugs. That's, so. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah, Kaylee knows I have a deadly fear of crickets. Oh. Is that your... <laughs> That's my laptop. Excuse me while I turn my notification. 
I've had that happen so many times during Zoom classes. Yeah, and well, now that we can, like, hear everything. I know, everything's sharper. But other than <laughs> having to deal with... One of our coworkers is super nice, and she knows about, like, my deathly fear of crickets. So the cricket, the... There's one trap that we have to set in the room for the animal care because there's reptiles in our museum, so they feed them crickets and such. And there's a whole room just full of crickets. And those crickets inevitably get out and end up on the sticky trap, which I un- I ethically can't stand tra- sticky traps. And if I ever yeah, run a collections, a tricky... if I ever run a collections department, I'm not going to use them. I'm going to try to find another way. Um, but it's it's in that room, so that single trap is literally just completely dark like you can't oh my god i'm so sorry sorry i had to text my roommates really quick because we have an issue um anyway yes. anyway but yeah so it was literally just covered in crickets like you couldn't see the bottom of the sticky trap and she knows how and they're still alive uh, they're slowly dying uh, on there crickets. and it's awful and i hate it so thankfully one of my co-workers did that one for me yeah no one thing about living where we live is the cricket problem and mm-hmm. i never expected it to be this bad the cricket apocalypse happens yearly and we got away we we got off pretty scot-free this year because of that yeah. harsh freeze in october right before the usual fall yeah. cricket season and it killed everything i just it hasn't been as bad since our freshman year do you remember that oh you literally would just walk through a parking lot and it was just crunch oh and yeah Yeah. because in texas yeah they they fly ladies and gentlemen the crickets fly (laughs) well i think a big part of the country is going to get a taste of that in just a couple months here oh the the cicadas cicadas. oh i'm so glad that we're not dealing with that except the cicadas are bigger they're big we're having a mosquito hawk problem yeah, they're huge. They're massive. I saw one at the historic house I work at, and I was, like, shooing them away because I was – I'm in a long skirt when I work, and there was one <laughs> in, in the there. house and because it's got in through the door when I yeah. had the door open. And I was, like, trying to, like, scooch it out with my skirts, kind of, like, you know, just kick it out. And it started crawling up me. I swear that thing was the size of the palm of my hand when yeah. the flowers were extended. It, and I, oh. They're huge here. at In Houston, they're not as bad, but up here they really they're are. massive. Yeah, um, my cat loves to eat them, and it's very disgusting. Oh yeah, and dogs love dogs and cats. I think animals just they hear something go buzz buzz, and they're like, chomp, 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 <laughs> yeah. Chomp. I've never had dogs eat them, at least in my experience. Oh. But honestly, all my dogs are like not real dogs. <laughs> well, Bella used to like if she heard a something buzz by her head, she would try to catch it and eat it. Oh yeah. But for a blind dog, <laughs> no, like it's really entertaining. So like. I had a dog, and she would eat everything, including a bee that stuck around the tongue. But, <laughs> but yeah, my cat, he will, like, run outside, but not to leave the house, just go chase mosquito hawks, because he knows where they are outside. Mm-hmm. And so he just goes right to that yeah. area where they live. And he's like, I gotta get them. But, yeah, I mean, they're helpful. They kill the mosquitoes, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but they're, they're annoying and gross. And annoying and gross, because yeah. they're bucks. But... <laughs> Say lobby. Well, so that's how it's going down here in our branch of the world. That's going um, I'm sure that was very enthralling and entertaining for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I think... So we have something interesting happening today here. Yeah. Because I ended up changing my topic when I started really researching. And um, I'll, I'll get into... I'll explain a little bit why later, but... I'm going to have to split this into two parts because this is a big topic and I think it's the first time that either one of us are doing like a big social movement like this. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be two episodes, but because I had to switch it last minute, 
cat is doing something and I don't know what she's doing because usually yeah. we talk about it beforehand. But this so week, I'm Kaylee is going in blind. Very excited to see what she's talking about mm-hmm. this week. So why don't you take it away, Catherine? Okay, I shall. You want to take a guess? Oh my god, it literally could literally be of all of history to I, guess from I, Kaylee. <laughs> why don't you know? I, that really narrows it down for me. Yeah. Well, I know it's not any of the people you've covered before, so not Rose Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> it is Women's History Month, though, so I am doing a woman. Oh, you're doing a woman. Good mm-hmm. for you. Um, I don't know. You have some women that you just like. It's not one that I normally talk about. Okay. I, I'm just going to have to tell you because you, you literally have yeah, all I, I will history never be able to go through. through. We are going to talk about Nefertiti today. Nef- <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> You've got to be. Oh my god. Yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do so it. So excited. So, yes, Queen Nefertiti. I just want to say it's so great to be able to like look at you I and, know, not, like, and not awkwardly like... contort my body. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. And I'm sitting across from each other. I took my glasses off because under my hand. Headphones. <laughs> under my headphones, it was squishing my glasses into my Ooh, head. Ouch. But I can see a vague outline of you. So you can't see this. No, I... <laughs> Thank you, little birdie. I see that. Uh, for those of you in the listening audience, I just flipped her off. <laughs> <laughs> Love you too, babe. Ew, it's like ASMR. I can hear that now. <laughs> Ew. Okay, sorry. Anyway. So yes, Queen Nefertiti. Um, for those of you who have a background or kind of know who she is, awesome. But... For those of you who don't, she is an Egyptian queen. And as is par for the course with really old stuff, documentation is sketchy at best. Makes sense. Even the foremost scholars don't agree on all of the same stuff. What were? Do you remember the years um, on the Mongol princess Kutulian? Kutulian? Kutulian, yeah. Do you know the general? Yeah, it was, was A.D., right? Yes, A.D., so 1250. Okay. Around 1300. Okay. Then this is going to take us further back than we have ever gone. We're going to head back BC. So the problem with Nefertiti is that we know she was born in 1370 BCE. We don't actually know what happened to her. Like, we just don't. There's so many theories, and a lot of them are plausible, and a lot of them have, like, vague... Like how she died? Yeah. Yeah, there's no record of her dying. She's uh, immortal. She's still alive then. I was going to say. It's Beyonce. What did they say to Men in Black? <laughs> Elvis didn't die. He just went home. <laughs> but literally, like, that's, like I said, that's the problem is that, like, you don't have valid information all the time. And without physical evidence, it's, and that's part of what they talk about being in collections and museums is that you have to acknowledge you're just a speed bump. Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff is going to disappear. It's going to yeah. get destroyed. It's going to go missing. You're, these records won't last forever, and the best you can do is just be a speed bump for the deterioration of history. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a lot of things that collections have to talk about, because if they don't, then they just get sad. Yeah. Like, yes. oh, this Dead Sea Scroll, what do you mean it's disintegrating? <laughs> what do you mean that the Green Project disintegrated it underneath a faucet at a university? And the... anyway, anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. We'll talk about the day. Museum of the Bible and yes. destruction of artifacts. Um, but she's also a fascinating study of historiography. And if you remember Kaylee talking about that a little bit last time, um, historiography is the history of history. And Queen Nefertiti's history just kind of doesn't see a surge in interest until 1913 when that famous 
bust of her was found that really famous oh, that statue mm-hmm. yeah like when you google nefertiti like that's what comes that up. that quintessential picture yeah. you have in your head yeah and after that everyone was like wow this you know regal figure and um she's so put together so pretty all this i mean the statue is very well done it is and it's very pretty and i'll talk more about it later but yeah so that's that's the rough parts of this is that we don't have a lot of documentation about her at all well that makes sense considering the time wait what year was it again sorry i'm already no you're good 1370 bc was when she was born ah so before christ or as we like to say now bce common era mm-hmm. so we're going backwards we're going yeah this is where the numbers get confusing yeah this is <laughs> we're we're going down to zero in the opposite direction i know well the thing is it's like okay i get that we everything revolves around christ because we live in a christian centric world however oh my god who decided to date things i like know that? this is so it's so <laughs> stupid and now we're just stuck dating things like that yeah because if like yeah because yeah. she's born 1370 yeah she a lot of people assume that she died or disappeared or stopped or whatever she did around 1336. And you're like, you can't go back in time. She did. She did. But it's because it's BCE. It's because she's an alien. Mm. <laughs> aliens. Okay, not to go into the yeah. whole aliens. Ancient. Okay, sorry. It's thought that she was the daughter of a really important political figure. Um, an advisor named, I believe it's pronounced A. It's A-Y. Again, sorry for my very white pronunciation. Southern, even worse. It's Southern pronunciation of these things (laughs) um and this is really okay egyptians just married their family especially in the royal court so this is going to get really confusing um yeah it was because of the whole like pure royal blood or whatever yeah that and like the bloodline and there's that they didn't believe that their pharaohs like at some parts of history they believe that the oh, rulers yeah. were divine mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily the case through this it, but like you had divine virtue th- if you were a pharaoh yeah. and you had access to the gods kind of and you were like the intermediary almost between the people and the gods so gotcha. you had these like really exclusive power like this power that it, it's fascinating and you should definitely all go read up on like the monotheistic polytheistic practices of this time period because they're yeah. fascinating um but yeah, so I was the brother of Akhenaten's mother. Akhenaten would be her husband. Okay. So she married her cousin, essentially. Okay, okay. So this is gonna get really. She married confusing. I. No, no, no. I was her supposed father. Okay, so I was her father, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then he was the. I'm already doing such a bad job of explaining this. Okay. So, I has a daughter. Yes. Nefertiti. Nefertiti. And I's sister was the mother of Akhenaten. Okay. Who she would who would become the pharaoh. Oh, okay. So, so she married her cousin. Okay. Okay. That but makes sense. That's assuming that she was I's daughter, which we don't know for sure. Yes. Um, Because later down the line, because they married, like... They married their nieces and nephews sometimes, mm-hmm. so the generational gap gets off because mm-hmm. after King Tut, who is related underneath Nefertiti in Akhenaten, yeah. I comes back in power. Oh. It's really confusing. 
Yeah, that is confusing. But for now, this yes. This is why you don't marry your siblings. <laughs> Stop marrying your siblings, guys. <laughs> this is also why we'll never cover the Habsburgs. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. We need, like, a visual for that. We'd have to tweet out, like, live tweet the family tree. That would be our one about. YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Start a whole YouTube channel for that. Um, so she was about 15 when she got married. The marriage was probably planned when she was around 11, it makes sense because she, that she stayed in these royal these royal circles and was part of that noble kind of family but there's still a theory that she was actually a princess of the Mitanni kingdom in northern Syria and was just what? brought to that <laughs> court Syria yeah huh. in northern Syria so there, those are the two predominant theories that she was actually a princess who was brought up at a young age to to be engaged probably Brought by over. age 11 ish. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I think people favor the theory that she was I's daughter just because of like how long she was in the court. And it seemed mm-hmm. like she was always brought up with those manners and stuff. So yeah, that's the two theories. Um, so this is, this, they also change names a lot, guys. I'm really sorry because we're going to go through name changes now. Hey, man, my <laughs> notes are really weird and confusing, too. So awesome. So we're struggling together. <laughs> yeah, good. Good to know. So Akhenaten, the guy she marries that becomes Pharaoh, was originally named Amenhotep IV. Amenhotep? Amenhotep. There you go. Yes. Thank you. Wait, 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 wait. Is this, like, the mummy? Are these the people in power in the mummy? You know they might be. <laughs> I don't know. I just there's like it. a huge lineage of that name though, of like oh, the okay. first, second, third, fourth, yeah. fifth, like kind of like King Louis. The however many we're on now, <laughs> mm-hmm. however many we're on now. Yeah, two hundred forty fifth. Yeah. So I'm his. He that was originally his name, but I'm going to call him Akhenaten. Also, don't uh, trust me. I'm not using the mummy as a historical source. <laughs> I mean, but we should do a series of like analyzing t- like history based movies, like that National Treasure, like, maybe Nine like Museum. one every couple months. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, we're a little we're a little off today. today. It's, it's nighttime. We usually do this more towards the early day. Yep, that's my fault. <laughs> I mean, traffic. You can't you can't predict that. Listen, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're good. We're good. Um. And he rules from 1353 to 1336 BC. So when she marries him, her official title is like the great royal wife. And she has a million different things they call her. A lot of them center around beauty and fertility because, you know, that's what the queen represented to people. Um, And when he comes into power, she officially changes her name, adding on on Nefer Neferoutin. So her full name is Never Never Out Never Teeny. I can't. That's fun for her. It's fun for her, not for us trying to pronounce it like no. thousands of years well, later. My thing is too is like what, what was this just hieroglyphs? Like <laughs> I don't know much about Egypt, so I'm really not trying to be like offensive. But... No, no, no. It, it directly translate translates to quote Beautiful are the beauties of Aten. A beautiful woman has come. So she was really into herself. She, if she was hot shit. She Let me tell it. you, if that statue was accurate, then I don't think I know, her. I know, right? Like, yeah. I would. Um, but she was, like, supposed to, like, she was known by her people to be pretty. She would have been about four, six, based on the height. Wow. Yeah, that was, like, average. You know what? Women. I forget that people in the past were so short. Yeah. 
Anyway. There's, like, that contested, modern contested issue of, like, are people taller now than ever because of nutrition? But or there was a recent study that was released saying that military records from 1900 showed that men used to average at 5'5", and now the average is 5'10", just over the last century. So, like... Well, you know what? I have a theory about that, and I just think it has to do with natural selection and values and what's attractive in men have changed. And I think it also has to do with nutrition. Yeah. If you look at Victorian food tendencies, That's eating true. rotted food, and also the amount of babies that become ill, you're so formative in your first two years of life that if you get yeah. sick, like with dysentery or something, it can affect your long-term growth as yeah, a baby. Yeah, it's probably a combination of those things. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but she would have been about four six, um, and probably a shaved head so that she could fit that really famous crown that she wore on her yeah. head. Um, My friend's mom wore a hat that looked like that for really? her wedding and every time she brings up Nefertiti oh, she's yes. always like my mom got married in a Nefertiti crown and I'm like that's, I mean, that's nice why would you? I mean she looked great I've seen pictures <laughs> I would that would be so pretty um the husband and wife like as husband and wife they were actually really close which wasn't always common in this time period because political alliances were so common and they were just you know I'll give you an heir, fine, we'll, like, sleep together yeah. once or twice until we we'll have a kid. I we live in the same building. Yeah, yeah. like, um, you have the West Wing, go, bye. <laughs> I'll stay here with my um, female friend who just happens to be... Um, Her really close female really friend. Close That's all you have friend. to say. <laughs> um, but no, they seem to be very close and pretty devoted to each other. And when they weren't together, they were with one of their daughters. Because she, they had multiple daughters together, but no sons. Um... One of the things that she and her husband are known for is the radical changes in religion that they had. So about five years into his reign, Akhenaten moves the capital north to this place called Amarna, which he kind of establishes as the capital. And he declares that Egypt's chief god is now Aten instead of Amon, which okay. is like a radical shakeup. But that's yeah. also where Nefertiti got her name extension from because it means beautiful are the beauties of Aten. So she, the cult of Aten is what they're ele- elevating now in favor yeah. of that I mean, that old makes God. sense because, you know, it's which deity do you, are you, like, mm-hmm. yeah. to? And that, you know, that's, that happens a lot today, too, with multiple deity. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's a pretty drastic change, but if you're the pharaoh, then might as well, right? <laughs> well, it seems that the people weren't completely on board because that later it gets me. switched back. Yeah. Um, Like, a few pharaohs later Mm. i wanted to say a few generations but the pharaohs there's the life expectancy is so short that like a couple pharaohs is like i mean how long has queen elizabeth been reigning now a million (laughs) i don't know like like, we would have passed probably like 50 pharaohs in the time queen elizabeth's been alive but um let's go back to that (laughs) right i'm not saying these people have to die but this woman's been in power too long i mean well that's the idea of the presidency having that max term thing where you, after eight years, you're done because you mm-hmm. don't need one. Otherwise, that becomes a monarchy or yes, oligarchy or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but pharaohs were thought to have, like we were talking about, they have divine power through virtue of their position. So they were kind of like the intermediaries between the gods. So if they say, you know, Amon's out, guys. Aten's totally in. Then you do it. Yeah. I mean... And it could have been this sudden desire for monotheism, and he could have been, like, a really pious person. I kind of doubt it, though, and I think a lot of scholars doubt that, because the entirety of the religion is based on polytheism. So to suddenly have this radical idea that monotheism is key would be really rare. It's more likely that it was a political ploy, because the different, like, 
the different gods had different cults and priests and organizations working for the benefit of that god. And, and by they cult? each had power. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. mean cult in like the Okay, I was going to say just like a devoted following. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean it in the pure pure sense of the term cult, like yeah. just a following. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, if you establish Aten as like the god, all of a sudden you have power over all those priests and all of those you divide their power and they're not mm-hmm. as strong so i think it would have been a political ploy i just think that makes the most sense but her husband would have been really busy doing this religious stuff and she took on a lot of responsibility as the queen like so much so that she was kind of like a like she was a consort in both marriage and everything, but she had a lot of power and he was more than willing to let her basically run the Pharaoh side of things while he was doing the religious side. And she even led religious practices herself. There is surviving like artwork of her like leading like um, worships and stuff like that. But also there's artwork of her like smiting Egypt's enemies like in a physical way. So she's very, like her portrayal in artwork at this time That's and everything really is really interesting because it puts her on a pretty equal scale with her husband. Yeah. Which I mean, there are other Egyptian queens and rulers at this point that have played a huge influential role, but she to to be present at the same time as a very powerful pharaoh and for them to split this power yeah. is significant. Interesting. Yeah. So like she like he thought she was doing such a good job like they each had this seal, this kind of like insignia, and he joined his symbol with hers instead of just her taking on his. Like they joined theirs together and combined them. Yeah. So it's like a hyphenated last name. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very feminist of them. So in the time that we have records of her, she has six kids with Akhenaten, but he has other like consorts, like wives, um, because, you know, Pharaoh. Yeah, that's how it was. These six kids are all girls, though, which, as mm. y'all know, in history doesn't quite sit right all <laughs> the time. Um, Akhenaten, one of the other um, consorts that he takes is his own sister. Oh, love that. Because why not? And she why gives not? him two sons, which is King Tut. Oh. That's one of the reasons that he had so many health issues. Oh. Like, if you've seen... Go look up modern renderings of King Tut, and you will be shocked at what you find. Like, he was... He was very, um... He... He was a product of intermarriage. Yes. Like and, and, like, generations of intermarriage. And he yeah. was just unhealthy. Like, mm-hmm. his... Like, internally, a lot of his body apparently just didn't work very well, which is part of the reason Yikes. he died so young. Mm-hmm. So, that's why we don't intermarry. <laughs> One of the many reasons, many, many, many. <laughs> the many, many. Um, if you needed, if you needed reasons. Uh, anyway, yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't. But there you go. There you go. But Akhenaten and Nefertiti's third daughter. Yes, third one down the line. Marries King Tut. Okay, that makes sense. So, like, I don't even know how to describe marrying your sister-in-law. No, your stepsister, cousin, wife. I guess. I can't tell you that. My, I, that makes my brain hurt. I know. My brain tries to, like, picture this family tree, and I'm already, like, really confused. But two of her daughters became queens of Egypt, and all six of those daughters she had within ten years. Wow. And this next part is highly disputed, so we can't 
take too much on it. But Akhenaten may have married two of his own daughters that he had with Nefertiti. Mm. Including the one that eventually married King Tut. So King Tut may have married his sister, his stepsister, aunt, stepmother, wife. That sounds, uh, <laughs> my brain cannot decipher that. So I honestly can't tell you if that's accurate or not. Everyone's just but marrying everyone. But I'm going to believe you. It, it, it's, just, it's very debated if, that yeah. he, if he married his own daughters or not. I mean, it wasn't taboo like, no, yeah. like, like, like it is for us. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they didn't understand quite the medical side of that no. yet. Um, we didn't understand that for quite some time quite yet. Quite some time. Yeah. Akhenaten rules for a total of about 17 years. And this is where it gets really sketch. About 12, some people say up to 14 years of that period. And we're just stops talking about her. Like, huh. Nefertiti just kind of falls off the face of the earth. And there's a lot of theories. That's weird. Around this time, one of the princesses, Mekitaten, who apparently Nefertiti was very close with, as she was all of her daughters, dies in what's thought to be childbirth at age 13. Hmm. Yeah, that, that would line up. Small ladies, childbirth, 13, 13 years old, like, it's, the odds aren't great. 1350 BCE. Yeah, it's, we're yeah. not looking good. That girl no. was probably just able to have children and then yeah. probably, yeah. Um, and so some historians think that she might have killed herself out of huh. grief over losing her daughter. Yeah, and maybe it was, like, some taboo thing, so they just didn't mention yeah. that she died. Yeah. yeah. But some historians also think that sh- this is, because this is around the time that Akhenaten gets a new co-regent named nefer which is that name she took for herself. Yeah, nefer And so some people think that maybe she just shortened her name to the chosen name she had huh. and became his co-regent and was maybe. just ruling in power under a different name, and we don't know... Yeah. If it's the same person. Other people think that <laughs> when Akhenaten died and he's replaced with someone named Smen... I'm going to botch this. Smenker? That that was her. Huh. Under a completely different name. And there is a history... There are parts of history in Egyptian... Like, ancient Egypt where women ruled and, like, had, like, fake beards and were legitimately pretended huh. to be male rulers. Interesting. Apparently. Um, and we... That's a slightly less likely theory because we have actual documentation of that king and they're pretty sure it was someone else. Or it could have been King Tut's older brother um, that would have been the successful line, like lineage... He would have been older. He took the throne, and then he died in some way, and yes. King Tut took over. Sorry, I'm being quiet because no, 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 I'm no. processing. I know. it's <laughs> That whole familial line is super hard to follow. Yeah. Like, go Google this family tree. And, I mean, there's no real family tree because it's not set in stone, so they mm-hmm. can't say this is who married who and all that. But a lot of the support for her continued living and power comes from the fact that there's no evidence she was buried in the family's royal tomb. Yeah. And if she had died at that point, she would have been interred with the people from that time. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And they actually can't find her anywhere, for sure. Like, we have not, for sure, come across her body. She wasn't found in the Valley of the Kings, 
but there were un- unidentified bodies that were found there. Mm-hmm. So if you stretch the probability a lot, there's one really young woman bought like mummy that they found that they thought might have been her, but it's a big stretch. Yeah, there's no way to really know. Mm-hmm. Some people suggest that she was exiled when the Egyptians, you know, got a new ruler and started to favor the old gods again. That they were like, ugh, this whole cult of Aten thing, like, get out of here. We don't want you. You, mm-hmm. you changed this and we don't like it. And some also suggest that because she was only having female children, that Akhenaten was like, ugh, I wanted a son. Goodbye. And just booted her, which... But he already had sons through another consort, so I don't yeah. personally think that's... And especially if those were considered legitimate. Mm-hmm. And then... he seemed to genuinely like her and think yeah. that she was a good ruler from their previous... He's no Henry VIII. Hey. <laughs> that's going to be an episode. Oh, for sure. At least two. Yeah, for sure. At least. So recently, there has been a discovery. Um, Nicholas Reeves is a British archaeologist, and he found indicators that there's a hidden room in King Tut's pyramid... And based on the layout and hieroglyphics around this hidden doorway, it could be where she was buried. Um, and it would make sense if, because that would have been his mother-in-law slash stepmother slash aunt. Huh. So that would have meant, like, it would have warranted her being buried in a tomb with him, especially if they died yeah. around the same time. But, yeah. Another couple of her daughters they think died around that time as well. And she may have just lost, been lost to whatever sickness, if it was a sickness that Mm -hmm. killed them. Mm -hmm. But part of her fame and popularity comes from like this lasting visibility. And like I said, it's only been like repopularized in the last century. Well, almost exactly a century. That's weird. But she's this symbol of female empowerment now. And before she was more, like, she was a very powerful woman, obviously, and represented powerful women to the Egyptians at the time. But she was, like, that symbol of fertility and also religion and sexuality. I mean, when you have six daughters and those daughters are going to have children on their own, fertility is a big look for you. Um, And even on her husband's sarcophagus, when he died, she was the hieroglyphics show her on it with him, huh. like on all the corners and everything. So obviously he valued her and yeah. stayed with her his whole life. If he life. died after her, then, and if she was like shunned, mm-hmm. then she wouldn't really be on his sarcophagus. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really hard to peg down what happened to her. Um, yeah. But in 2009 someone took like those um that imaging you can do without damage it's almost like x-rays you can do Mm -hmm. imaging on art so they took that bust that really famous statue of her and did imaging and it shows that underneath that smooth exterior layer her layer that there's kind of like this more bend in her nose and that there's some wrinkles that might have originally been Hmm. carved in and everything and it, it may have been someone else and he carved over it or or plastered over it or something but it's kind of like how when you paint over a painting like the madame x painting you know people were so scandalized by this woman's off the shoulder dress that john singer Sargent had to literally paint paint a sleeve on this woman (laughs) like so it may have been you know someone was like she needs to be more pretty she's the queen and he smoothed out the wrinkles and Mm -hmm. fit her with the conventional beauty standards at the time or this might be a genuine representation of what she looked like it's hard to tell, but 
I talked about Jul- uh, Rose Valland a few weeks ago in Saving Art, and the Germans had this during war. The war, they put it in a salt mine. The bust was sitting in a salt mine with <laughs> other stolen art. Can you imagine losing that? Oh, my God. I know. Uh, it lasts to last thousands of years. like Just and- for some punk-ass German... <laughs> I say that to a punk ass German. I know. Just be clear, Cass not a Nazi. That's funny. I, I, She's just no, German. Yeah, I am German. Yeah, no. Um, I'm now referring to Hitler as that punk ass German every time I read a report now. Um, but yeah, a couple more pharaohs down the road after King Tut is gone. Yeah, yeah, King Tut goes. And then Horemheb is the next pharaoh after that, and he is the one that's like, we're going to go back to the old gods. We're going to go back to our old ways. And the mm-hmm. people seem pretty on board with this. And he destroys most of the documentation concerning Nefertiti and Akhenaten. That checks out. Yeah. They didn't want to, like, accept the fact that they had strayed from the old gods. They didn't want to talk about that. They didn't want to acknowledge it and stuff. So he just flat out destroyed tons yeah. of it. Which is why one of the reasons that even for this time period, they are hard to pin down and we cannot be sure exactly what happened to Nefertiti. Mm-hmm. But one historian said, what is so striking about Nefertiti's life and work is that even through her likeness, derived from Thutmose's bust of her, is one of the best known and most frequently reproduced in the world. And while she lived at a time when Egypt was the most cultured and most powerful nation on earth, remarkably little is known about her. And yeah. I feel like that's like the... I don't want to say this because it happens to everyone in, like, every gender in history, everyone in history, but I think that is a great danger of being a woman in history, is that it is oh, yeah. very easy to either get looked over, mm-hmm. or be erased, or be the wife of some pharaoh, which, the horrible part is she was not just the wife of some pharaoh. She mm-hmm. was a ruler in and of herself. But she still, like, that legacy is still... Yeah. If you look her up, it says queen and wife to the pharaoh. Yeah. It's not queen, it's, yeah. it's wife. And huh. we risk losing so much information when we Yeah, no, that's look really at interesting. That way. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you know, you hear so much about her. I'd always assumed you would, we just know a, a lot about yeah. her. Yeah, I did too. That's why I started diving into this and I was like, yeah. where's all the documentation? <laughs> Show me the receipts, guys. Please, please. I have a podcast. It's like, <laughs> I have to validate things to people. So literally, that's that's why I kept saying, like, we can't substantiate this throughout this whole episode because we can't. Yeah. The foremost scholars can fight all they want. And and that's the weird part about history is history is just what we think at this time. Yep. Even about modern events, it is mm-hmm. just what we think about this time. I, you can hand me a blue painting and say, this is blue. And yes, that is correct. But in 20 years, someone might say, this is cerulean and it comes from this origin it's mixed and made by it like we just it always changes even the facts change so yep yep yep. like it's yeah even if you find a foremost scholar on Nefertiti and they say you know this is exactly what happened without bodies and without paintings and drawings and hieroglyphs and stuff like that the Rosetta Stone to understand every form of hieroglyph like we we don't have the facts, and that's yeah. And who knows? There could be another Rosetta Stone that we find, and yeah, and maybe 
Maybe this manifests it. Next week, they're going to come out and say, this is exactly what happened yep. in Nefertiti. We found perfect documentation. We found a whole new script that we completely understand. It's somehow written in English. And all you people <laughs> And can... all the pieces are just going to fall into place, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, some, some early Egyptian knew all the languages that were going to come in the world and transcribed it to every single language. Modern French, modern German, modern English, modern Russian, modern... Like, everything. Everything. And they're just going to... Yep. I mean, I hope that's what happens. If, Hopefully. I don't care cross. if I made a fool of on this podcast by not knowing, <laughs> if that means we do eventually know. Yep. Because that would be cool. That I'll take credit cool. for it. Yeah, well, that was really interesting. Great job, Kat. Thank I'm you. sure those were interesting notes to look up. They were very uh, scattered. I, let I me tell you, I've scattered. done stories like that. And yeah. It's an interesting time. It was not... Yeah, it was interesting to research yes. like that, so... Yeah. Well, this week, I... Mention it a little bit earlier, but I'm doing the first part of our first two-parter episode. And, so, I'm doing spiritualism. Specifically historical spiritualism. Not just, ooh, crystals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, today I'm doing the origins and rise in popularity of it. And then next week I'm going to be doing kind of the debunking and fall and I'm going to be talking about that happening between uh through telling the story of one specific person who was pretty key in the fall of spiritualism and it's less in popularity and then I'm also going to try to fit in some like modern uh leftovers from it because I think we're seeing a rise in like these kind of things again and that just because you know we're all stuck inside like oh let's do tarot readings but <laughs> mm-hmm. So, actually. That's interesting, though, because now I'm realizing that my person for next week, who is going to match yours in, in theme, yeah. probably has big effects because of spiritualism. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. Really fascinating. Okay. Yeah, Teach that's me. why I was thinking it would be fun to do this first before you do your person for next week. Okay, yes. Yeah. Teach me all the things. So, spiritualism. Obviously, belief in the stereotypical spiritual things has been around since the dawn of time. So, ghosts, demons... Or not, not demons, mainly just ghosts in the afterlife and um, stuff like that. Has been around for forever. People have always been trying to talk to people after they die because people just want to know, like, what happens after that. And that's a, you know, a normal human instinct. But spiritualism can be, uh, the historical spiritualism that arose in the 1840 can be, 1840s can be roughly summarized by saying it is an elaborate and dr- dramatic, dramatized wow (laughs) (laughs) me too and a dramatized it's an elaborate and dramatized version of those same beliefs in ghosts in the afterlife um or spiritual events like that uh the people who exploited this they made money off of it and people who sought to prove that it was really using science so that's kind of the phenomenon so it's a dramatic dramatized look at like ghosts in the afterlife and it's also people who exploited it and people who sought to prove that it was real. And that's kind of... <laughs> that's... Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's the best I could put it into words because... So this is a big social movement that happened from 1840 until roughly the 1920s or 30s is when it like finally fell in popularity. And it is so elaborate <laughs> because there is no standard to this. Because it really just kind of happened... And then everyone took over and there was no regulating body. So it's just, <laughs> there's so many different versions to this. You know what I think, makes me think of? Huh? Like 
voodoo. Like, how Afro-Caribbean yeah. cultures meshed with a lot of, like, Catholic ones because mm-hmm. they were, you know, they were enslaved. And yeah. Taken as slaves, and they didn't have choice but to adapt. And how it like how you start with these basic principles, and then yes. everyone adds their own flair to it. Yeah, no, and that's really what happened. Like spiritualist spiritualism, and um, I think most spiritualists would call themselves Christian, and they would believe that spiritualism is an offgrowth of Christian beliefs. And I'll get that into that mm. in a minute. But like at the height of this, there were around eight million people proclaiming to be spiritualists what? in America. Whoa! Yeah, which is a significant part of the population. So that's why it's so scattered, and there's so many things all over the place, which you'll see later on. Um, and it's just, it was really hard to put into notes. So I'm sorry if I'm a little scrambly today. I'm gonna do the best I can. So, of course, like everything, we have context. So let's talk about the social context of where this movement started. So this started in Western New York in 1848 is when we really see the first definitive start of the spiritualist movement. And I'll, I'll get to the story that specifically starts it in a minute, but I just want to set up the context for this area specifically and for America at the time. So we have the frontier effect where you're really isolated. And when you're in Western New York in 1848, you are technically on the frontier. You're living at the edge of civilization. There's no real rules. I'm trying to think of New York as the edge of civilization. <laughs> I know. It's hilarious. Isn't it? Honestly, it's hilarious thinking of it as in 1848 because, like, next door there was probably some Native people. And they're like, oh, my God. I'm, you know, in living off the land and the rough terrain. And the Natives there were like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> we did all this for you. Yeah. And you betrayed us. Yeah. And then the European were like wow oh my god this is the frontier (laughs) um so yeah so basically there this is kind of like isolating effect that comes with the frontier and it's why so many frontier people who live on the frontier kind of more prone to believe in the mystical or the magical because it's kind of this liminal space yeah um like nothing set in stone there's no established anything and you're just kind of there in nature. So like, it kind of makes sense why people would grasp onto something like this. And in addition to that, there was no established churches. Like there were churches, mm-hmm. but no hierarchical churches. No one, you know, reporting to the- It wasn't like standardized. Yeah, exactly. No one reporting to like the Baptist convention. Even if there was like a Baptist church, like it mm-hmm. would just probably be something the community put together. There's no standardization at all. That combined with uh, the resurgence, if you know anything about 1840s, we have the, what was it, the second great awakening? (laughs) It it makes me laugh. Yeah, so the second great awakening had taken place, and it takes place specific, um, a lot of it takes place in in western New York, um, and it's believed that this area was somehow blessed by God, which is why all these religions like crop out of it. But it's the second Great Awakening, and that's where we take a lot of the um, kind of more modern Christian denominations come into play. Specifically, this area of New York is known for the creation of Mormonism, uh, Quakerism, and what would later be the Seventh-day Adventists. Oh. All crop out of this region, specifically near Rochester. Huh. So, yes, so we have this religious fervor combined with this effect of the frontier. So we already got some things moving around. Then we got science. And if you know anything about world history, scientific revolutions happens in the 1700s. People are con- discovering things for the first time. And this means two things. One, people are grasping on 
kind of those more mystical things when they can find it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of religion and history is based on explaining the unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And now that science is kind of coming into play, they want to grasp on things that are still kind of that mystical, mm-hmm. unexplainable thing. Two, they want to explain the quote unexplainable using science in order to justify their religion. If that makes sense. I feel like that's the weird spot we're in now with a lot of religion is that like after the scientific revolution, like you don't, it's not just about explaining it. You have to make them work together. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they were trying to do is because they're like, oh, we have this newfangled thing called science. And we also (laughs) have like, oh, everyone believes in ghosts now. We have to prove that they exist. And people wanted to prove that they exist because they're like, this is awesome. And it, it would prove the existence of the ha- afterlife, and yeah. that would be revolutionary. You and know? same for, I, I can't imagine that a pioneer who is probably losing, like, if you are an active pioneer, as in you are one of the people that is on the front, like, moving yeah. across the U.S., establishing and settling and taking away native land, that you're probably looking for some explanation. Yes. Like, you're probably losing faith in the God you were raised with. I can't imagine the trials emotional uh-huh. physical that would that would put you through and i i doubt well, too like, i can't imagine religion la- religion lasting through that so you probably yeah. want a modified religion that oh, makes yeah. sense that you can use to explain you become disillusioned which yeah. is why i think so many other churches and so many different other belief systems crop up even though they're so christian in, in name mm-hmm. you know people are just trying to kind of explain the world around them yeah well you like you lose your five daughters in a wagon accident yeah. and you want to believe that you and you can want to believe that they're going to be in the or, afterlife yeah. and you're going to be with them eventually and that they can still talk to you and stuff yeah, like that yeah no it totally makes sense and then fascinating. so sorry to rush through this but i have a lot of notes and oh sorry we're on a strict time schedule today because we have uh not that many t- oh, minutes really? left My in bad. Our... I, no I no it's fine earlier um so i no, i appreciate your your storytelling abilities. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> so all of these things combined, and then on top of it, you know, science is discovering new things that aren't exactly like physical manifestations. So people are like, well, if science can explain electromagnetism, mm-hmm. and I can't see that, then why couldn't science explain ghosts? And I can't see them. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's all of these things. So it's the frontier effect. It's the religion thing, and it's science, and they all kind of combine. And then we have a series of events and a series of people who kind of popularize the spiritualist mindset. The first is Franz, Franz, <laughs> Anton Mesmer. And if that name sounds familiar, this is where we get mesmerized from. I was going to ask. He is an 18th century Australian healer. And he claimed, claimed that everything in the universe contains a magnetic fluid that caused illness if it's out of balance hmm. or out of whack. And he claimed that he could fix this imbalance by putting his patients into trances. Thus, he mesmerized them. Oh. So this was kind of... And then in these trances, his patients claimed that they could talk to the dead. So that's kind of how that fits into Hmm. the spiritualist movement. And then a big uh, thing with spiritualists, which I'll talk about later, is this kind of trance effect. And how being in trances is a big part of communing with spirits. So we see that directly from Mesmer. And we have a second guy... Emanuel Swedenborg, who was an 18th century Swedish philosopher. And he um, did a lot of thought on, you know, the afterlife and stuff like that and what happens to the dead. And he kind of came up with that there was three heavens and three hells and one kind of purgatory space similar Mm -hmm. to uh, Earth, apparently. 
Uh, and he claimed that he could commune with the spirits in all of these dimensions. So it's again, it's talking to the people in the afterlife. Hmm. And he was kind of one of the first people to kind of talk about, you can talk to people after they die, that kind of stuff. So these two ideas were combined by this one dude named Andrew Jackson Davis, who was an 18th, no, sorry, he was a 19th century American philosopher. Actually, he writes his works in the 1840s, right before spiritualism takes off in 1848. Hmm. I don't know if we would call him a theologian, a philosopher, some weird dude. Interdisciplinary. Yeah. <laughs> a smorgasbord of all of those things. However he wants to identify, he can do that. But he combined the conceptions of Mesmer and Swedenborg to create the first thought that is directly what we would call, like, spiritualism. And he's often called the John the Baptist of spiritualism. <laughs> um, and he claims that he contacted the spirit of Swedenborg. And wrote in 1847 that, and this is a quote from him, so in 1840, sorry, yeah, 1847, I have 1947 in my notes because I'm insane. (laughs) So he claimed, so one year before the event I'm about to talk about next, which is really the catalyst, like I said, of this movement. So he wrote that, quote, it is a truth that spirits commune with one another while one is in the body and the other in the higher spheres. All the world will hail with delight the ushering of that era when the interiors of men will be opened and the spiritual connection communication will be established. So he's kind of predicting hmm. this rise in spiritualism because it's all about communing with the dead and talking to the people. So one year later, we have the Fox sisters in 1848. And when he hears about the story I'm about to tell you, he had this to say. He quote says... A warm, a warm breathing passed over my face, and I heard a voice, tender and strong, saying, Brother, the good work has begun. Behold, a living demonstration is born. So, hmm. that he said about Kate and Maggie Fox, and eventually their sister Leah, who, in Hinesville, New York, in 1848, accidentally start the entire spiritualism movement. I mean, why not just accidentally start your own religion? <laughs> so, March 31st. We're coming up on that soon. Wow. We're uh, almost, you know, however many years that is to the day. I can't do that. It's March 29th now, so. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so on March 20- 31st, please note the day being the day before April Fool's. That will come into play next week. <laughs> hey. Age 11 and 14. Kate and Maggie Fox, Fox claimed to hear a series of rappings coming from a, quote, ghost in the house. Throughout a series of question and answer sessions, uh, they determined that this ghost seemed intelligent and would answer questions willingly and accurately. They were able to figure out that this ghost was apparently the ghost of a traveling salesman who had visited the house before the family moved in and lived, and, and who had, you know, traveled to the house mm-hmm. to sell them something. Yeah. But was never seen again before the family moved in. Oh. <laughs> Amazed and impressed at, you know, what was happening, debatably, they began to tell neighbors. And neighbors who were also amazed and impressed. And the neighbors were able to ask their own questions and receive answers as well that were intelligent and willing to be answered. However, soon they began to worry that oh, maybe, you know, the safety of our family is at stake. And so they send Kate and Maggie to go live with their sister, Leah, who lives in Rochester. So 
in Rochester, all of a sudden, Leah figures out, oh, I can commune with the dead as well. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh So then (laughs) they start telling the whole town of Rochester, hey, we can talk to the dead. And it's actually not just the ghost in our house. It's any ghost that we want to. So they begin to run out, uh, you know, big amusement halls and host seances that are full of 400 people. And once they get big in Rochester... They're still kids at this point. Oh, yeah. Like, in early teens, 12 and 15. I I consider that kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Anything below 18, I'm like, a child. Yeah. So, again, in Rochester was this hotbed for religious fervor. So they're like, oh, my God, you know, they're talking to us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's afterlife and they're in heaven, blah, blah, blah. And once they got big in Rochester, which they did pretty quickly, they began to tour around the Northeast. Hmm. And uh, they would have seances and stuff in different major cities throughout the Northeast region and basically left behind them a trail of this rise in spiritualism in their wake. So, <laughs> hmm. very interesting. And I'll, I'll finish that story next week because it's interesting how it concludes. But now we're to the spread of spiritualism. Like I said, the sisters kind of started this, but as soon as people figured out, huh, People are paying good money for this. Ah. <laughs> we start to see in crazy riots, and this kind of sweeps the nation. And, you know, Victorians are kind of really into the dead already, so they're kind of ripe for the picking. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and so we see a rise in mediums uh, specifically, and they're the ones kind of leading this movement because, you know, you got a medium on the corner already, and it's a lot more believable than just, oh, I think I heard about that, mm-hmm. you know, someone something happening in New York. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, it's in your neighborhood. It's right down there. And you can just go talk to them. And mediums would often come into the people's homes and just do seances, like, in the parlor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do that in PD Blinders. Hell yeah, they do. So, hundreds of mediums popped up um, uh, following the tide that the Fox sisters created. And what's interesting, so they would do, like, you know, it's a very stereotypically women profession mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that because the traits to be good medium are traditionally passive impressionable and sensitive which are hmm. stereotypical <laughs> female traits especially in 1848 mm-hmm. so women saw this as oh i i, I can do that like <laughs> i mean it's a source of money too it's a source of money women and you know always allowed didn't always have a proper way to yeah it's work. a source of money and it's a, like, these people made bank. Yeah. The Fox sisters were wealthy. <laughs> um, of course they were. Yeah. And, like, if you could convince people that you were real, then you would make money. And for the most of it, it was in pretty good fun. That is until the Civil War, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it was an opportunity for women for them to make money. They kind of embraced it. And they said, yeah, I'm a woman. I, I have all these traits already. I can I can do this. So there was several things that, like, uh, mediums would do to kind of, you know, have these tricks. One was table turning, and this would kind mm-hmm. of be, you know, it was kind of like a Ouija board thing where, uh, oh, the spirit would be turning the table, quote-unquote. And all of these would be taking place in, like, candlelit, like, very dark, dingy rooms because mm-hmm. they would say, like, oh, the spirits need this to, like, really, 
be able to communicate with us because, you know, they're, they're so low energy, blah, blah, blah. And um, so table turning was a big one. We have, of course, the classic knocking and rapping. Mm-hmm. We have um, ectoplasm, which is really fun. What did they which use is- to make that? Anything and everything they could. So ectoplasm to a medium is um, basically they say it's the physical manifestation of spiritual energy. And this would be expelled from the medium's orifices and would also be hidden in the medium's orifices until it was time to kind of expel that, uh, which apparently was the... So imagine some Victorian woman chucking fish guts at you. That's that's literally what happened. I know, and that's... I know, and they had these big dresses so they could just hide a bunch of random shit in there. That's what I did this week. I I finished my first layer of petticoats with a gown. Sorry, continue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so really awesome ectoplasm expulsion um, I will get to this next week and talk about one instance of exoplasm expulsion in particular. Um, Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every time I'm just thinking of Ghostbusters. So, yeah. So, this ectoplasm uh, was made out of, I've seen cheesecloth. I've seen animal guts. I've seen basically anything. And it's really interesting the way that they, like, kind of, they were really creative how they approached this. Because I think there's, like, if you also, if you look up. Victorian or 1800 ectoplasm. <laughs> it's comical. I'm, I'm it's doing like it right they now. have puppets. It's so obvious. But I'm again, not ignoring you, but I'm you definitely know, looking. Yeah, at no, please do because it's comical. You know, these people wanted to believe in this, and also they were in a dark room, so it was already that confirmation bias, and also they just couldn't see very well. But it's insane what these people kind of fell for. So that was a big one. Also things like spirit photography, which was, of course, just a double exposure. But, of course, when photography was first being invented, people didn't know what double exposure things were. So they were, oh, you found it, right, Cat? You're laughing. Maybe we'll tweet some pictures out because it's what, so what funny. It's, it's, it's like... just has cloth hanging <laughs> off it. Yes, it's just like cloth. And they're like, no, this is ectoplasm. Trust me, trust me. <laughs> so, so yeah, so spirit photography, that was a big one. And again, it was just like double exposure photography. And uh, uh, you have your trances. That literally just showed up the double... Yeah, spirit photography, yeah. And then you're channeling, um, your trance is where you're channeling spirits and, like, having them talk through you. And that can be a series of things. It can be kind of uh, you're talking for the spirit and kind of acting out how they would have acted. Or it could be a direct voice, which is just the spirit talking because it's so powerful. And you're, like, not even moving your mouth and the spirit is just talking. Uh, And then um, another big one was, what's it called? Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's the one that you, um, you're writing and it's not like you processing, you're like in a trance state Oh yeah. and you're writing, but it's supposed to be like the spirit writing through you, which there's a name for it. I'm forgetting now. Possession? No, no. It was, um, (sighs) I forget. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, it's, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But you know, these things are very stereotypical to a lot of you know, mediums, especially now and how they're portrayed in like horror movies and stuff, because I think of a million horror movies I've watched that have had like mediums going into trances, meaning mm-hmm. automatic writing. That's what it's called. Mediums um, doing automatic writing, stuff like that. So this all becomes pretty integral in how we perceive like life after death and everything. And so these were all just kind of the parlor tricks that people came up with to try to get paying customers. 
And that's why I keep, you know, I can't really blame the fake ones because these women were just trying to find a way to make a living. Yeah. Um, this is also a really unique opportunity for women to enter worlds and spheres of influence that they were not allowed to enter. Right. And this specifically was in politics. There was um, one medium by the name of Cora Richmond who was allowed to hold influence over, quote, several government bodies. That's all the mm. article said, but sounds pretty significant to me. There's also some reports that one of the um, mediums I'm going to talk about later also had some effect over the members of Congress. Uh, and, and, you know, like, people did what their medium told them to do. They made choices because they're like, well, that's, you know, my sister who is enlightened and she's, like, right. in this higher state of being. And I, I guess I'll listen to them if they say that I should sell my farm, stuff like that. And then one in particular by the Nettie Colburn Maynard was the medium for Mary Todd Lincoln. And she actually advised Abraham Lincoln during around the time of the Emancipation Proclamation. So this was, you know, 1860s. Ooh. So it was during this time of, you know, when this was so popular. And um, that kind of brings me to the point of 1848 to 1860, it's all good fun, you know, okay, okay. So people are just trying to convince them that it's real and it's a good time. Sure, it might be fake, but eh, it's a few dollars for an evening's entertainment. Why not? Yeah. However, it takes a turn when we have a war and it's the war that kills oh. the most Americans. Uh, That's not thus far <laughs> so all of a sudden we have all these people wanting to talk to their dead soldier son and oh. mediums are exploiting that and that's where it kind of takes a turn and we see the same thing happening after world war one as yeah. well so that's kind of where i kind of lose sympathy for the whole faking it thing because yeah. you're exploiting people now yeah. and of course they were always kind of exploiting people because people would be like my three-year-old daughter died i want to talk to her so, preying on tragedy versus just giving people a good show are two different things. Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, and like you said, you know, even if it's one person and exploiting their tragedy of, like, a three-year-old daughter that died, that's still not acceptable. But, like, yeah. especially in a nation that's already demoral. Okay, sorry about that. We were having some weird thing happen with our audio. Yeah, we got the two mics to work, but that comes yeah. with its own challenges. Yeah, well, who knows what's going to happen now, honestly. Yeah. Anyway, so Kat was saying, like... In a nation that's been demoralized, yeah. like, you have a national tragedy. That's a national conscience you're violating, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's why, you know, it becomes much more questionable, and it's not just, you know, your evenings of entertainment. It's like... Mm -hmm. You know, there's some differences there, and it's, you know, people are always going to take advantage of stuff like that, but it, for it to really be something that people believe in wholeheartedly and it connected to their relatives, it's kind of yeah. really shitty to be the person that, like, takes, you know, advantage yeah. of that, people in a really vulnerable time. Especially if you're, time. like, price gouging or something, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Fox sisters would charge $1 per ticket in 1848, and I can't, I don't Ooh, even know. That's, that's a lot of money. It's at least 25 bucks. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Anyway. So. Yeah. And that's kind of like the context we're living in. People uh, at the height of this movement, there people were this. Uh, so this mainly happened in America and the UK and people, this was everyday activity. <laughs> so people would just come over for tea and have a seance. At tea time. And now we're scared of Ouija boards. We're wimps compared <laughs> to Victoria. And they would use Ouija boards, and that's where they were first popularized. However, they don't, they weren't that into stuff like tarot or anything that came from other religions because this was a Christian-based belief system. Mm -hmm. And that I, that's one thing I should mention. 
spiritualism, like I said earlier, everyone kind of interprets it their own way. Some people do interpret it as Christian and just, you know, a kind of a different belief in Christian mm-hmm. values. However, some people just consider themselves spiritualists and it is considered as a religion to some people. Um, which is interesting, like separate from Christianity, but I guess it's just, again, what you believe in. And there are spiritual churches to this day. Um, so that's really interesting. But so, like I said, people kind of, you know, they really want to believe that this is real. And because of this, there is several, several, several clubs and organizations that crop up basically, specifically founded to kind of focus the effort into proving that, you know, mediums are legit and ghosts are real. Mm -hmm. These are things like in 1862, the Ghost Club of London. In 1882, the Ooh. most popular one that still exists, exists today is the Society for Psychical Research. And they're the ones that do like the, they're like the really well-known hmm. organization in this. There's um, the London Spiritualist Alliance. There's the American Society for Psychical Research. At one point, the American Society of Psychical Research splits off into two groups. Uh, there's a million and wow. <laughs> there's so many and I could sit here and say you tell you all the names, uh, but I won't be doing that anyway. So uh, there's also really famous and legit names that come out of, you know, people who are into supporting them or trying to figure this out. And that was one thing that spiritualists, especially mediums who kind of wanted to establish themselves did really well. They sought out famous people and it's kind of like the original influencers of, of the day. So they sought out people like, Charles Dickens, who mm-hmm. was a spiritualist. There's a whole episode of Doctor Who about spiritualism. <laughs> Charles Dickens. Yep. Um, Charles Dickens. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a huge spiritualist. Really? And he actually is going to be one of the key players next episode as well. And Marie Curie. And she was really into, you know, she was a science gal. She huh. wanted to use science to prove this. And... Yeah, so it's really awesome. There's also several journals, newspapers, books that were published on the topic of spiritualism. And um, these articles would include things such as Evening at Evenings at Home and Spiritual Seance, Ghosts in Africa, Chronicles of Spiritual Spirit Photography, and as and even included advertisements for mesmerists and patent medicines and letters from readers about personal contact with ghosts. So it was really like people were into this. There was, and it's, there's dozens of these newspapers. I'll, I'll read you some. These are just periodicals. So journals or newspapers, but there was the banner owned light in Boston, the religio philosophical journal in Chicago, the mind and matter journal, Philadelphia, the spiritualist London and the medium also in London uh, the Review Spirit in France, Le Messager in Belgium, the Analyse de lo Spiritismo in Italy, the El Criterio Espiritista in Spain, and the Harbinger of Light in Australia. <laughs> so, wow. And those are just some. There's dozens and dozens of these. So people really bought into that. Like I said, there was books as well. Like you can go and most of these books are um, public domain. So you're able to go read them mm-hmm. and just peruse what these people are saying. And, and that uh, man I mentioned at the beginning, Andrew Jackson Davis also wrote an 800 page book, uh, which apparently is used as kind of like a foundational text for a lot of spiritualists where it's just very stream of consciousness consciousness and <laughs> apparently course. it's a very interesting read but you could go read it it's public domain you can find it on google but yeah like i said it's a very much a part of everyday life uh 
just very interesting and it was so such a part of culture and just it's funny because we kind of think of the Victorians as these conservative people, but... They weren't. They were freaky. They were freaks. Body and piercings. Go look up Victorians and body piercings. There's a reason why the one on the pee-pee is called <laughs> what it's called. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we have this idea that Victorians were so conservative, but in this and many other ways, they definitely no, they were weren't. Not. They were freaks. They and liked to pretend that they were very... Oh, they really loved to pretend that they were very... Proper. Proper. Yeah. But that's the High class, word. you know. Yeah. Uh, that's why I, if I had done a doctorate, I would have done Victorians because they were insane. Anyway, so now I kind of want to give, like, just some info, just so you can kind of get a feel of this on, like, three specific mediums, just so you can kind of get a feel for yeah. how those things worked. <laughs> um, the first one, I'm, and, and these are just three out of literally hundreds, and there's so many names, and every time I looked into one, it mentioned ten other names, and I would be mm-hmm. like, well, do I have to look at these people too? <laughs> and it was so difficult, but I was like, no, I have to focus my efforts on these three people. So the first one is Emma Hard- Hardinge, and she lived from 1823 to 1889, and she was one of the kind of earlier mediums in this movement, just based on her, you know, life and death span. So she was born in London, and she apparently was also devoted her time to chronicalizing the rise of spiritualism. So she is like a very often used primary source in these kinds of things. Thanks for that, from all the historians to you. Thank <laughs> no, you, Emma. Thank you, Emma. Um, so she apparently showcased, started showing her talents at a young age, and she was able to predict the future and give information about dead relatives, which is how a lot of mediums kind of start when they were young and oh and that, well, that was another thing they believed that some people were just born with a natural inclination to be a medium mm-hmm. however everyone could teach themselves how to be a medium apparently okay. i'm not sure how that works because that's kind of different than how we see it now that some people are just born more sensitive but i mean you're born i mean it's probably parallel to being born and growing up and teaching yourself to become a priest or a pastor yeah, to them like it's true you teach yeah. yourself the trade um so she uh, as a young child, uh, joined a London spiritual society. It wasn't clear which one, but apparently she was kind of taken advantage of monetarily by an older member of the group. So she kind of quit the club and kind of left the spiritualism thing after having a bad experience. And um, she then, when she was a little older, she moved to America and she wanted to kind of write about the gullibility of Americans during this time. Go for it. <laughs> and so to do that, she attended seances, but when she did that... It kind of reawoken stuff in her. And she was like, wow, I remember all these things when I was a kid. And then she became a medium herself. Hmm. And she specifically would work as a trance lecturer. So she would deliver speeches in trance and she would tour for this. <laughs> uh, her lecture topic- topics included discovering of spirits, the philosophy of the spirit circle, Hades. What is the basis of the connection of the natural and spiritual world? And others. <laughs> interesting. So that was Emma. Pretty interesting. That's just one approach. And I think that's pretty similar to how a lot of mediums might have gotten their rise. Especially people who are like a little more nationally famous than mm-hmm. maybe just your medium down the street from you. Another pretty popular one is the Bang Sisters. And let me tell you, they had a wild Wikipedia article. <laughs> I was like, what's happening here? <laughs> they were arrested like three times. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, so they were originally from Kansas. May and Lizzie Bang moved to Chicago in order to launch them, their careers as mediums. And their specialty was spirit painting. 
Which means apparently in Treance, they would paint you a portrait of your dead loved one. (laughs) They were so, I guess, convincing that according to the show, or the article, they really put on a show for their clients. Uh, And that was part of it. You know, the spectacle is really getting people to believe. And um, apparently they were so uh, alluring that there was this one photographer that visited them so much. He was extremely wealthy. He squandered his whole fortune on going to see them. Uh, and then apparently uh, descended into a san- insanity and would die in an, insane in, or in an asylum. And people say that it was the sister's fault. Or the, the Bang sister's fault. Yes, let's blame women for men's... I'm not really sure how they... Habitual tendencies. ...concluded on that one. But, um... Their whole life thing is really complicated. Like I said, they got arrested a few times. I saw several different sources, so I just thought that I would just say, because it's not really clear, like, why and when they got arrested. But it's good to know, you know, it's good to see aspects of every person, like, yes. different experiences of people who practice. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, these are just, <laughs> I just plucked three. And you could literally follow this rabbit hole down for hours and hours and hours, because it's, it's a, it's a fun one. There's an unending amount Mm. of content that you could find and you know i listen to a lot of podcasts just to try to like i think these notes are the one i've spent the most time on Mm -hmm. which is part of why i was running late today because i was really trying to put these notes into words and i just couldn't and i was trying to come up with a timeline that made sense and it's just so hard but like (laughs) and it's so funny because like a lot of things we think of as today like the victorians were doing this and like that stereotypical image of the hand the palmistry hand and stuff like that and it's very interesting to see what is coming from this time period. I wouldn't. We'd just have to record. We'd be here till like 1 a.m. Okay, well, that was recorded. Kat just said she wouldn't kill me, so that's good. <laughs> I, yeah. Sorry, I had to delete a part where I made a, unimpl- a very unpleasant noise. <laughs> and Kat thought I accidentally deleted the whole thing. But I didn't, so we're good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really interesting. And like I said, you could follow this rabbit hole down for hours and why there's not like a million documentaries on this i don't know because this is just so fascinating you make the documentary kaylee you do i look like i, I barely i had I, it took me 30 minutes how to get two mics on my laptop <laughs> you think i can make a documentary no <laughs> she said at least you're honest <laughs> i mean well I that's how you know you have a good friend right no, they won't lie to you <laughs> I, mean, I know i couldn't we didn't exactly get degrees in fdm we got degrees in history oh my god could you imagine how I've seen us spend like 20 minutes on margins for our papers. (laughs) Yeah, so no documentaries for us, but if anyone out there is listening. Yeah, hire us. We will narrate your documentary. This would be an amazing docuseries on Netflix. Oh. Oh, it would be so good. Do we know anyone? We will not make the documentary, but we will be guest on it. On it. Yeah. I'll do the costuming. The costuming. We'll have really bad <laughs> Like the really cheesy ones yeah. used to watch in class. We'll get cheesecloth ectoplasm. Oh my god, could you imagine? <laughs> Paper mache. <laughs> oh, I would watch the shit I out of too. that. But it has to be like purposely bad. Purposely Victorian bad. <laughs> because it has to be accurate. Yeah. <laughs> they get us to do the reenactment. <laughs> well, if it's us, you know it's going to be bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so, uh, crazy stuff. And then the last one I wanted to mention is a gal by the name of Mia, Mina Crandon. And Mina will become a key player next episode. And I kind of mentioned her before because she's the one that manages to 
quote unquote manifested ectoplasmic hand. <laughs> which is just disgusting. Um, and it's uh, just as bad as you think it is because it's not made with um, no. cheesecloth. No. <laughs> Please tell me she didn't use like a cadaver. Oh, she used animal parts. Uh, she was friends with the no. butcher. Stop. Stop. <laughs> and I'm she kept bulk. it in her dress. I'm going to bulk. Stop. <laughs> anyway, so Mia Crandon lived from 1888 to 1941, and she is probably one of the most famous mediums out of this area because of the story that I'm going to be covering next episode. She uh, would channel the spirit of her dead brother, Wallace, in order to talk to other spirits through her. Uh, to, through him, my apologies. So she kind of uh, had like one spirit that he, she would commune with the most and he was able to talk to the other spirits because he's, you know, on the other side. And she was very into uh, <laughs> the kind of showmanship part of it. And it's not really her fault. And she was she was good at what she did. And she was a very famous medium. However, in 1924 is when she really gets her claim to fame because Scientific American, which is, I believe, a journal that still exists. I think it is. Yeah. um, They held a contest and had a prize for any medium that was able to prove to them in a controlled setting that they were able to commune with the the dead. So they put her in, like, basically a lab and they evaluated her as she was holding seances. And uh, that's really what the story of next week is. And I'm really excited to tell it because wait. it's crazy. <laughs> I'm Now I'm like dying to know. I can't wait till next week. Yeah. Oh, come back. Part two. This is why we do the two-parters, right? Oh, Get yeah. repeat listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah. So she was submitted to this competition by uh, held by Scientific American. And I don't even think she submitted herself. She was submitted by her husband. And apparently she got into spiritualism to kind of soothe her husband or to distract him. And I don't know exactly what he needed distracting from, but he was needing some distracting from something mm. that goes on in his life. I think he was a doctor as well, and he was just so impressed with her skills that he submitted her. And so, yeah, so next week we got some big names coming in. We got Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We have Harry Houdini. Oh, and we have other notable names that come into play. So make sure to tune back in. So I'm not going to get too into Mina's story, but she's real interesting. Um, Do you want to go first next week? Do you want me to? Yeah. That way it's like a cohesive. They can jump from one episode to the next without losing the cohesion. Yeah, I could go to first next week. Okay. We're not set in stone here. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm going to leave y'all with. That was um, sorry if that was really confusing. I I followed that way yeah. better than I followed the genealogy <laughs> of Nefertiti. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I listened to a bunch of podcasts just to get a handle on how other people were kind of talking about spiritualism so I can uh, communicate it well, hopefully. Uh, if you're curious, I listened to... Um, I listened to How Stuff Works. I listened to... That's a good one. Uh, sorry, no. Not how stuff works. Stuff you should know. The Lunatics Radio Hour has a great mm. two-part episode on spiritualism, and they're kind of doing the same setup as I am. So if you're just dying to know what happens next week, you could probably go talk, listen to theirs. Although don't, because, because you're our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also Ridiculous History had a pretty cool episode on that. Uh, so if you're interested and want to know more or just want to know, because everyone kind of talks about different mediums in their episode, everyone kind of talks about how things kind of I mean, everything, they always talk about the Fox sisters and stuff like that because they're yeah. just key players. But if you just want to know more about different 
seances that happen different mediums then you can go listen to those episodes they're really cool and very helpful and helping me get my brain around this but yeah that's that's all i have for you today Wow, I'm I'm like super excited for next week, and I'm just realizing that you can probably hear the police car in the background. Yeah, there's a which is there. weird it's happening. I with sound canceling headphones, I can't hear that at all. But the mics are picking up more than I can hear, so it's like really weird. Yeah, <laughs> I feel very um, professional. Yeah, we are not in a sound booth, but yeah. Yes. So we hope that the sound quality has been better today, and we yes. hope that you've learned a lot. Yes. And we're so glad that you're here listening to us. And Kat, do you have any final notes? Um, I don't have... It feels weird, like, not ending the story. I know. I, I can't tell weird. you. Good job finishing that, Kaylee. I know. I feel like I'm going to be, like, in a weird space all week because gonna... we haven't concluded this. Yeah, I'm going to say y'all should go up, look up ectoplasm Victorian, like, Please le- legit. Do. These people just stuffed curtains in their mouths. Yeah, <laughs> it literally looks like that. It, uh, it's... P- please... Please go look at the pictures. Also, um, among the images, for some reason, got pulled up an Amazon ad for a book called Ectoplasm Spasm, Erotic Story of a Victorian Seance. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone has the So next episode, it. I'm canceling my plans for next episode, and it will just be a dramatic reading of that. <laughs> Ectoplasm Spasm. That is probably the best thing I've heard all day. Thank you for blessing me with that. Yeah. Sometimes... Rarely. We're just ruining our chances for an Audible sponsorship at this point. (laughs) But sometimes, very rarely, Amazon does one good thing. And I believe it was showing you that ad. That ad. Oh, no, you're right. You're 100% right. Oh, my God. Anyway, well, like I said, we're glad you're here sticking through this interesting episode. It has been interesting. Yeah, it has. Um... Next week should be a lot of fun. I feel like there was something I was going to say about next week, but I don't remember what like at all what I was gonna say. So Um well I know that there will be mention of some maybe PG thirteen things. Just, oh yep. Just because of the person that you're covering and you can't yes. get away with it. Specifically who's cat cat's covering. If you wanna know it starts with an R. And if you can guess about um <laughs> sexy times that and start with an R and spiritualism and you don't very, have to, very you famous don't have to go far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're probably already there, but yeah. if you need one other hint, there's a very famous Just Dance song. <laughs> For the, um, Maybe that will be our YouTube video of Kat just doing that, song, that dance. <laughs> I'll build a limb home for Easter. We have it. Oh my god, I please. My, what if I get my sister's... Your wee out. Okay, so my family doesn't know I do this yet, so what if I get a video of me and my sisters doing it? Kat, like why are you making us do this? It's for a podcast. <laughs> I know, your mom tweeted at us, and she was like, I bet it's 18 episodes before Kat's family figures it out. 18 episodes? And I'm like, she's placing beds. We're already, like, My mom's trying to make money off of us. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, yeah. It'll it'll be a good weekend. It will. For next week, yeah. Yeah, so... So, if you're listening to this, uh, I hope you've had a good month of March, looking into April now. It's crazy that it's almost that time. Women's history will keep going, even though the month for it. I mean, yeah, y'all know yeah. us. It's it's a, it's us. It's it's us. I almost did pilots today, and then I was like, no, I can't do female pilots again. They're gonna. Chad <laughs> has one interest, <laughs> yeah. and it's not actually pilots. It's really it's not. Really not. <laughs> it's genocide. Um, but yeah, follow us on Twitter um, at T I N A H L podcast. Yes. T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. That's our ad. Or email us if you don't want to just talk to us on Twitter. 
or if you have just a lot to say, we would love to hear from you. Um, our email is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. And yeah, we hope you have a great week. We're looking Talk forward to, to talking to you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.